Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Charmaine Lee, a vocalist from Sydney, Australia, presently based in New York. Charmaine's album KNVF is out now on Erratum Musical. It's a really brilliant record. It's one of my favourite things at the moment. And speaking with Charmaine just made me love it even more. I think what I love most about it is, I mean, during this conversation, which is great, by the way, Charmaine was excellent company. We talk about poetry and cinema and those complicated experiences that you get with some films, some poems that leave you unsure precisely how you're feeling, leaving you unpicking those sensations that it's left you with. And Charmaine's new album feels like that. There are so many different gestures compacted together, so many different fidelities that she uses. You come away knowing that you're feeling something very intensely, but it's knotted and left with you to unpick like a pair of headphones that have tangled together in your bag. I absolutely love it. And like I say, Charmaine was great company. What was really special about this conversation is that it starts with a performance. First, for crucial listening. I hope you really enjoy that. We're going to start with that and then head into the conversation. So, you can head to charmainelee.com. That's our website. Also, charmainelee.bandcamp.com. And as always, attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for links and stuffs. Please do rate and review the podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening as always. Like I say, we're going to kick off with the performance and then head into the interview. So please enjoy. This is Charmaine Lee on Crucial Listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
stop that. <laughs> <laughs> amazing i'd be more emphatic there's a baby sleeping upstairs but rest oh assured, <laughs> you got your uh, headphones on yes i did yeah, yeah i love it we had no wakes that's absolutely fine and it uh, recorded it well. did as well so what a treat <laughs> um, charmaine thank you so much thank and you so much for having me w- welcome to crucial listening this is great so that performance was wonderful that's a first for the podcast such so a cool. treat and i want to ask about i mean we were talking yeah. about this before um we actually got into the recording but you said that you want to perform as much as possible hence why uh, you did that performance just then yeah tell me about why that's important to you to want to perform so much well um it's also to me i think you know while i I have to share sort of candidly a reservation I had about the podcast format, um, which was like, you know, the sharing albums that are important. I find that like nowadays, um, sometimes that tends to be more of a reflection on like someone's taste and like general kind of social capital about like, oh, let's see like how well I can package myself to know like this obscure release and this you know and I I tend to like uh, try to to not sort of just reduce everything to those necessarily but I think you know I I really enjoyed the previous episodes that you had done and um, I think there's something I found a, some, a sort of a niche of interest that I feel makes a lot of sense to share with with you and like your listeners right now um, but for me, the performance, the, the desire to do that as, as a part of these kinds of conversations is because I really feel that that ultimately speaks the best to my music and 
um, you know, a lot of the concepts and practices and influences that I have um, and continue to be inspired by. So that's one of the real desires I have to, to really perform as much as possible. And also, um, I think that the kind of music I make is a live music. It's uh, predominantly improvised and there's a process to that uh, and a rigor. And I think that it depends upon that liveness and working in as many different contexts and uh, in different communities and environments as possible. So um, that's another motivating factor. But although, you know, the reality is, is so much of my performance now is in my room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, I'm not really dealing with uh, the variables are very much um, quite limited, but uh, you know, I'm still, really grateful for the opportunity just to be able to be present with you in that sense. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you again. And as you mentioned, the context has been a little bit static in the yep. past year in terms of where you've been performing. And that's been over live streams, I guess, in contexts like these. Um, how has your relationship with that kind of performance been over the past year? Like, have you felt a change in terms of how mm -hmm. you approach it or how you feel about it yeah i know at first um you know in america in new york where are you based by the way i, I actually didn't bournemouth near london okay UK. okay so uh, in new york we had our i had actually a show a duo with john weiss uh in brooklyn i think it was something like the night before the whole city locked down and we oh, had wow. decided last minute you know what we're just going to stream this. Um, not going to do. Not going to invite people over to this thing. And it was wild because we. I was like, "What the fuck is Twitch?" Like I was like trying to figure out like all of this stuff. And we ended up like the venue actually had a really shoddy Wi-Fi set set up. So we just last minute were like, "Oh crap, we have to change the platform because Twitch requires a ton of bandwidth." Oh and. My God. We ended up going Instagram live on my account and like, I mean, I just had no idea what I was like, I, you know, the, the, it was such a, a mental space I had to dedicate to figuring that part of it out. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I could not have predicted how prolific that would have ended up being for sure, yeah. a lot of people um, over the next, you know, year and a half. Um, so <laughs> just like <laughs> reflecting on that. And I remember I had, uh, a sort of a series of performances live that I had committed to prior to that lockdown. And, you know, of course everything was canceled or postponed and there was this sort of rush of live streams that sort of came up in the coming months after that. And I was committing to all of them. And then I realized like, I think I just ended up, I found a point where I was just like, you know what, <laughs> I feel really burnt out and I feel like I'm giving a lot in this space as I would in live performance, but I'm not getting any energy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the, sure. the typical things that I feel, I don't know if it's like addicted to, but uh, the thing, typical things that drive me and motivate me to continue, I just was hitting kind of they're sort of depleting um mm -hmm. and 
yeah, I just, I ended up sort of taking a bit of a break about six months in. And that's when a lot of the recorded material started to get really focused. And I started to think about, uh, you know, with a lot of improvisers, there's kind of a morality maybe associated with editing, the sort of concept of post-edit. And I don't have any of that. <laughs> I, I feel like that, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, like live and unedited, no dubs, like, boom, you know, there's like yeah. a whole, there's a whole ethos with that. But I feel like for me, I think I was interested to go beyond the point of just this is Charmaine Lee live in a recording um, because I was so committed to that uh, experience and I find mm-hmm. that even videos are so re- sort of reductive of a lived experience. And yeah. so I just thought, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to try to stretch as much as possible in recording and take advantage of the medium, um, the things that uh, I'm really inspired by and, you know, things I wouldn't be able to necessarily achieve live. And it's amazing because now I feel like I never would have predicted this, but that the processes and the language that I developed in that realm has now influenced the language and my imagination of what I'm able to execute live. So it's it's really cool the way that that's kind of come around. And I think that's one of the most interesting things I feel like I've taken from this period I've seen you talk about with a new record as well how that was a means of you exploring certain things that you couldn't do in the live context as you were just saying mm-hmm. you can do in recording mm-hmm. what are the main things that jump out at you there that you found really enabling about the recorded context that you couldn't do live yeah um so there's like the quite literal thing of multi-tracking right um that i i like in my current setup i I couldn't necessarily, I didn't think of piecing these two kind of things together because of their independence. Um, So, for example, uh, the track Exuberant Bodies in KNVF, my record, um, is a track of me uh, speaking a poem through uh, a gate, which is cutting off anything above a certain amount of decibels. And then I have, in addition to that, a, a live mic feedbacking at like 20k hertz, and I'm sort of like moving around with that, and that just kind of opened up my channels of trying to figure out, oh, like, can I actually do some of that, or at least allude to that live? Um, and so I developed a, a sort of similar approach um, where I have an EQ, various like high pass and low pass filters that um, cut out, you know, just a a significant amount of frequencies. And I'm able to do that while also having other unaffected sound going through the channel. So just having things like that, I think really just like really pushed me to think about the further possibilities of polyphony, which I'm super excited about. Uh, And at the very least, like kind of influenced the language without any of the technology as well um, in application. So that's that's probably a pretty good example I can think of. Wicked. 
Um, yeah. Before we get into your important records, I've got one more question, and it's a broad yeah, yeah. one. So if this one's unanswerable, absolutely fine. You wrote this <laughs> wicked article for Wet Ink Archive, oh, yeah. reflecting on your practice, yeah. which I think came out in May last year, right? So I appreciate to- you reading. I appreciate you reading it because it's <laughs> it was it's very long and um it just has so much of what i currently am thinking about and um i, I really appreciate you taking the time to read that my question on it is it ended you know around like may last year so just starting to do quarantine yeah. concerts um what if you were to write it you know covering the period from then until now Hmm. what do you think would be the main themes that would arise in writing say another paragraph to cover your (laughs) that last aspect of your yeah uh, you know it's it's interesting because when i wrote that um i had i was just on the cusp of um working with modular synthesis and at the same time also coming back full circle to um and a largely unaffected sound and approach. So sort of these, like, di- the dichotomy of what was going on was, like, I was, as I was widening my uh, kind of technological approach and practice, I was also, like, narrowing down into the most basic setup that I had. And I think I've just, like, gone full force in in that direction since then um and it's interesting because i've been listening to a lot of radio um over the past year which for me has been kind of a really important touch point of like geographical placement and also un- like Absolutely. feeling like there's life going on around <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> coexisting uh and i i have been listening to a lot of that and i started to really Um, integrate that into my setup and one of the things I've realized and and this is probably what I would dedicate the paragraph to is sort of the the, I'm becoming more and more intimate with my process of integrating new tech new technology Um, and I love that I'm talking about a radio like it's new technology but you know you know it's like (laughs) yeah when I'm integrating a kind of an aspect that's going to really sort of have a relationship with my sound what I realized is um because sometimes I feel like the impulse is to you know add the thing and then the thing becomes the primary like vehicle or the primary presence in the music and I just I think the way that I'm able to create a sustainable relationship with the new elements is actually thinking of, okay, like what is it, what is it about the radio that inspires my language without it? You know, so it's, it's coming from this sort of like cyclical approach, but ultimately what I think it does is it allows me to sort of distill a, like what is it actually that I'm that I'm interested in by that thing so it helps me push through the novelty of just adding that thing for the sake of it mm-hmm. and then it also kind of like builds up my confidence to have a relationship with it and to sort of meet it at that place um, so when I'm actually integrating it it I feel sort of that um, 
I feel sort of confident that I'm that I'm still the center of the music and the sort of center of gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a really tricky and ongoing question and tension that I feel like I'm always navigating with, especially with like new new material. And then, and I I often feel that it takes years to like I I was on a single microphone for several years and then I added. This is very typical of me, but I added like three overnight, two weeks before a major performance. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? And like, I just, you know, that crunch period was really intense for me. And I, um, it took me from that point, which was very stressful because it was like adding three new instruments basically mm. to an improvised process, which, you know, requires a amount of concentration to develop uh, in a sort of linear fashion and to and to then think about transitions and other things like that oh, like, was just yeah. really fucked with my mind. <laughs> but that took me, like, a, I think a good two years of actively performing. You know, by active I mean, like, once every two weeks hmm. um, to really feel comfortable, integrated. So if if I'm working on that kind of timeline, you know, it's like, I have to. I just also have to know the patience of letting these things happen and then taking those risks live, and and, and that's the best way to really get it into my my palate. You know, it's just under my fingertips. It's like just working through it in performance. Yeah, wonderful. I think I saw you in an interview you mentioned about the fact that performance isn't. I'm going to mince your own words back at you here, but performance <laughs> isn't perceived often enough as an intrinsic part of process like it's like here's what i've got right um yep and i i love that that there's you're going in i guess with the knowledge that if you have got this new piece of kit that it's not going to be the ideal presentation of that new piece because you know that process is 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 ongoing that's fabulous yeah i mean i think i i feel very much that um especially like as i as i uh touch more and more um, touch points with like noise music and the practices of that. Um, I feel like there's a big difference between like valorizing failure and um, accepting high level mistakes. (laughs) And (laughs) I feel like there's a tendency in certain practices to either like valorize failure for its Mm. like its own sake. Um, And there's sort of the opposite where um, there's a very comfortable approach with sort of risk taking. And I think to me, that's more an aspiration of the aesthetic of experimental music as yes. opposed to like quite literally embodying the core values of what I think that's trying to do, which is totally. like offer a, a different way of listening um, and making you think a little. And I think, you know, um, I find that like the institutionalized performances that I witness, uh, at least in New York, and this is a big generalization, but um, tend to be quite uh, choreographed, I guess, mm. in the element of risk taking. And I think there's just such a, there's a way to be like raw um, and focused and have it be, have a process, you know? Uh, and I think that that's, something that I personally really try to aspire to, no matter what the context that I'm performing in. Awesome. Well, I thoroughly encourage 
people to check out the new record and any performances that emerge in the future, uh, either through a context like this yeah. or in real life when that is a thing. Um, where is the best place for people to, to mm. check out the new record? Uh, I have a band camp, which is just my name, charmainelee.bandcamp.com. And it's the album that's the, the latest released. And then the record label that I put it out on, Aratum Musical, is a French label. And they the, it's run by Joaquin Montessus, uh, who's been around for quite a while. Uh, he's also a uh, vocal noise artist. And he the label is really sort of centered on that practice and sort of sound poetry and, and the sort of like tangential practices around that. Um, but he has a website, erratum.org. So you can also buy the record off, off of that or their band camp as well. So there's a few avenues. Well, let's talk about your important records. And one question I like to ask before we go into the actual records themselves, mm-hmm. um, you kind of touched on it actually right at the top of the podcast, but it's how you thought about the term important when yeah. picking your list. So. Was there a way that you thought about it in order to come up with these three records? Yeah, you know, I went through the like the classic existential steps of like, oh, like how is this going to reflect on me? Like, how is this like are these like cool enough? Are they, you know, yeah. like aesthetic, like obscure. <laughs> and I, just, like, I ended up just going with like uh, maybe just thinking about like, okay, look, all of these albums to me embody kind of extremities of what I aspire towards in a sense. Uh, and I feel like I'm like synthesizing a lot of these different concepts in my own music. And I think that's why these things are really interesting to me is because they sort of, they really kind of go singularly into certain um, explorations of space, dynamics, frequency, feedback, flow, and it's just really nice and it's like a very clear um concept that is sort of explored 360 degrees and that's what really is inspiring to me about it and how i sort of think about my own clarity of focus so uh that's kind of the approach i think i ended up taking with these three records which are all quite different but at the same time i think share that thematic uh, exploration awesome so i'll let you choose which one we talk about okay. first if you give me the name uh, of it okay maybe we do you want to start with yankees let's do it yeah okay <laughs> so why did this one make the list then show me so hmm so i actually just a just a side note i actually practice with this album sometimes which huh. i would recommend like people who um, improvisers or anyone really uh, I would recommend like practicing with your favorite record <laughs> wow <that's laughs> it's so kind cool. of fun um, and it's like to me the reason why I do it with this record is it it sort of embodies the a very specific uh, approach to improvised music that I myself don't really um, naturally have inclinations for so I think the way that I hear it is that, and and Nate Woolley once described group improvisation like this really beautifully, but it's sort of like we're all sort of these separate organisms and we're moving at a particular clock respectively. And 
and then the, the beauty is that like that independence is appreciated and, and highlighted and then also like the sync up, the lock-in when those clocks do um, align is really exciting uh, as a player and as a listener. Um, and what I really like about this record and what it stands out to me is that that feels really apparent, that kind of concept where, um, you know, Zorn and Lewis are sort of these entities that are moving in this specific way and they're like bursts of solo activity. And then it's all held together by Derek Bailey, who's kind of this like machinic thing that's like existing and moving at his own pace, which is which is very much like his style. But in this context works really well. Um, and I believe that Zorn and Derek, they actually, this is the first recorded meeting of them, of the two of them in this record. So... Um, that to me is like extra special, but I think what I also like about it is that, and I think it came out at like around 83. Um, what I like about it is that it, it, it embodies this kind of campiness, um, via the Yankees theme, the, the, the titles of the albums, the tracks are all sort of related to baseball and, um, yeah, I think at some point, like, uh, George, like, sort of starts saying kind of ball lines and there's, like, like game calls in there and yeah. stuff. So, it's all, like, but at the same time, it's, like, it's, like, serious fun, which yeah. I think is a is a um, value that I feel like is lost in improvised music <laughs> today. Like, it's either, like, too ironic and just, like, the disconnect between why someone is doing what they're doing is really apparent to me with with the traditions that that's kind of culminated into today of just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'm going to like throw this thing around and like yes. not yeah. believe in it, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> And at the same time, there's like the polar thing of everyone's just like, just like seriously bowing a cardboard box, you know, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, do you not realize what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that uh, this record like really kind of captures a rare fine balance with the joy and the kind of like strange humor while also musically being really powerful to me. Um, so I, I feel really like that, that record sort of takes a, a special place for me. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's such an interesting point. Like, um, I feel like I, I guess it's more of a depiction of humor in line with something like stand-up comedy right like those people Mm -hmm. take that incredibly seriously and there's you know when it's done well there's nothing but all heart in performances of good comedy it's not a throwaway thing someone doing you know fart jokes on stage it's like someone who's properly given their all so i'm seriously farting (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah you know the other thing i was thinking about was like you know the the other thing is like and i don't know how much Zorn was was speaking with uh, musicians in Japan at the time, but there's also something about it that, again, is not a natural inclination of mine. But you tend to find, like in in sort of certain areas of Japanese improvised and noise music, there's a kind of a, a very, uh, and I'm thinking specifically of like Otomo Yoshide or Sachiko M or um, uh, Nakamura. Like there's a certain kind of architectural approach to music making and the and the the concept of like sharing a space with someone live is not necessarily like it's basically kind of like this practice of coexisting 
and sort mm. of building a foundation that way as opposed to um, some of the more American and European practices, which like has a more interactive moment to moment linear fashion, which is where I really come from, like with my background in jazz music. So it's like, you know, but it's interesting because this record is a, is a really interesting demonstration of both of those things, I think, because there's, there's that sort of singular independent commitment. Um, and then there's also these like bursts of things happening together and you're like, Oh my God, they're listening to each other. And like, there's a, <laughs> there's that kind of recognition like sonically. So, um, I like that. That stands out to me too about that record. Do you, uh, understand like the, as someone who knows this record much better than I do, cause I literally just heard it last week, but do you know the relevance of like, say the Yankees here? I mean, I know it was it Zorn mm. who dealt a lot in, creating these games around improvisation that were yeah. analogized to different sports. Is this connected to that universe then? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, I don't know, to my knowledge, I don't think that there were particular prompts with this specific record in that right. sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I imagine it sort of grew out of some kind of like deep cultural like uh, reflection of like the eighties. Yeah. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, in the tradition of baseball. And I think that the, the album is like, you know, three playing cards and like their names on it. Uh, um, yes. so yeah. there's like could have sort of this ethos of the, of the American like baseball tradition that was like really rocking in, in that time period. And like, yeah, I, I'm not sure specifically if, if there's connection there, but that's a really good question. And I think something that, um, should be, should be researched yeah it felt like as a listening experience it kind of was a nice way to bring out the pantomime within sport within mm. an improvised context just felt like a nice yeah. aesthetic thing yeah i think lewis is like ball one <laughs> ball two. like he sort of starts saying stuff like that and it's yeah it's funny because like in any other context you'd be like i don't know this like feels pastiche but yeah I don't know. It feels it feels really musical to me. So yeah. <laughs> Do you remember how you first heard this record? Uh, a friend of mine, Henry Fraser, who's a fantastic bass player, had sent it to me. And you know, to be honest, I Zorn to me is kind of like the Beatles. Like you, the, the discography is so massive that it takes. It's sort of intimidating to even start. Yeah. You know, like, what, Absolutely. how do you start with the sort of process of listening to his music? Um, and so for me, I was kind of a, I was quite late to his works as well as Derek and, and George Lewis. But um, I'm, I feel like I'm still unpacking, like, Zorn's, like, epic output um for me you know, I, I don't know. I, I tend to just personally tend to be kind of uh reticent to hop on the train of people who <laughs> kind of like are sort of just automatically revered you know no matter what yes. they do is like you know it's just like god's gift on earth or something and there's a sort of value placed on being prolific in the volume sense of it that yes totally i feel like i've got maybe just like immediate prickles <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Against, and it's got nothing to do with, with his music and, and him in general, but, like, I think I just conceptually just have a, a bit of a uh, thorny relationship to to people who I feel like are, have that sort of stature. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it generates a certain... Because I have it as well, a scepticism around why they're necessarily known so well because you're like Mm. well if you put more signal out there than anyone else then inevitably you're going to this is the thing i realize about our times like if you say something loud enough or end enough like it will become true (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it's kind of intense like i (laughs) yeah yeah so we better blast this podcast, you know, <laughs> on all the channels I'll, as long be on as possible. <laughs> all the channels. It'll be the stuff of legend. Um, <laughs> so, and you mentioned that obviously, I mean, this is an important record to you. So after hearing this, I mean, what changed for you, either in terms of mm. your listening um, inclinations or in terms of you know your 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 approach personally yeah. towards improvisation well the fact that i practice with this specifically city 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 the first track is a favorite of mine to sort of train my ears to i think patience is a big one for me because you know as you know with my music i'm rapid fire <laughs> <laughs> you know like i just love it i'm a little speedy gonzalez <laughs> and um and i feel like my risk taking is like pushing myself to the edge of nowhere in that place. So just like, you're going, you're going, you're going. And I'm just at the cusp of being able to control like everything that's going on. Uh And I think that's a kind of, um, that's a kind of tempo that I feel like very accustomed to. And it's very fun and exciting for me to, to put myself in, in a performance setting. Um, But this record for me sort of gives me, uh, some inspiration on how to, especially when it comes to interaction and um, group settings, dynamics, um, giving sort of like that, staying at that pace internally, but then, you know, understanding that the external um, output of it isn't necessarily like sound all the time. Right. <laughs> Which yeah, is like, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it silence to me is my like favorite most underrated mode of being um, in improvised uh-huh. music. Like I find the ten, everyone's just like, I've got to give, I've got to give by like saying more, you know, and it's, I get the impulse. Like you're trying to be generous and you're trying to make things happen. And, you know, like I fully empathize with <laughs> the impulse of that. But I think after like a certain amount of experience, you're kind of like, oh, like I don't need to be, it doesn't, I don't need to, I don't need to constantly indicate to my like fellow players that I'm listening to them right. by like constantly making sound. Yeah. You know, it's like Isn't that the irony. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, I think that I've like really, as this record helps me push into like more of that list state of listening where I'm like, I, you know, I have confidence that a, I'm just not going to be chased around, you know, the sort of typical cat and mouse thing of like, you say something and then like, there's like echoes of it everywhere and you know, <laughs> yeah. you're like oh no like I, I like i really wanted that to just like be in a world that sort of remains yes. there and it's breathing um and that to me is like oh so crushing soul crushing when you're like oh no we're just gonna be like politely repeating it each other 
Um, but uh-huh. uh, I think it just like helps me kind of trust in, and you have to you have to be playing with a certain kind of player who has that confidence to operate in a similar fashion. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just kind of helps me change up my 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 listening um, framework. When you think back to, I mean, how long ago did you discover this record? Mm, Probably, gosh, hmm, three, four years ago, four years ago, I would say. What kind of memories come to mind associated with discovering that record initially? I think just like as a sensation, um, a sense of wonder, um, uh, there was something you know, timeless about it in that way. Uh, and it was it was inspiring to me because I generally had, at that, I've been through many kind of, I've been a hater, like, you know, I've been, I've been a, I've been a earnest, like, believer in everything. And then I've also been a hater. And I think at that point I was like shitting on a lot of things and like feeling pretty negative in general. Um, and... I think that that record for me was like a, a kick in the face <laughs> um, in a good way, like in a way that it was like, oh, like, you know, because I, I tend to have, I think I was like very sceptical of like, I think when I was at, I studied my master's at New England Conservatory in Boston and the various sort of like hip music at the time when I was at that school was like, deeply ironic um like music that you know these like jazz majors who were like extremely virtuosic on their instrument would like doggedly go into these like post-punk kind of like aesthetics where you're like playing three Mm -hmm. chords and it's like you don't know how to play your instrument and it's like this whole complexity that happens and develops between like and it grow. it's so crazy to me that like that how that affects like people's well states of mind and well-being and also like entire communities of people making music like i don't know it's it's a deep complex that i feel like i was it i was just kind of like i don't really connect with (laughs) with um and like i think i started to develop a sort of resentment for that kind of campiness um Mm -hmm. which like maybe it's a cultural thing too because i'm not american and i feel like that i'm australian and i feel like the i came sort of a little later to the camp which i feel like is super has like a really deep deep running tradition in history in america Uh um but uh, I think I was just like in general like a little bit um, allergic to things that were sort of like <laughs> like sort of tongue in cheek <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Um, and then I listened to this and was like, oh, oh shit! Like I can't make that generalization. Um, right. And also, there's a way to do this. Um, and because you know, joy is so widely denigrated in these like serious circles of high art and music, and I get why the impulse then is to sort of go in its complete opposite and sort of be like, ha ah, like, you know, I'm gonna like put a toilet on my head, and it's like hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the people who are like so serious about that are fucking badass, and like I, I have like deep admiration and respect for, but mm-hmm. they practice that shit. Like that is like a yeah. 
an entire sort of like commitment. It isn't just this like, f you know, fuck on, fucking around sort of like whatever situation. Like they're, they're like, right. they're like, you know, we believe in that I need to put this toilet on my yeah. head, you know? It's, and it's yeah. like, I, I don't know. I, I think that was like one of my first forays into music that could, could embody that with sincerity. let's go on to your second oh, yeah. important record now again i'll let you pick it okay let's go to yan jun um wonderful yan jun and xia yu who uh yan jun is a fantastic uh sound artist vocalist in china i think he lives in beijing and uh xia yu is a incredible poet living in taiwan um and in, during the day, I, I work at this nonprofit organization called the Asian Cultural Council, and they support artists' grants to and from Asia and America. So it's like a sort of cultural exchange organization. And I came to know Yan Jun through that, largely. Um, but then he he became more known to me also through as I became you know started developing um, pra my practice in in my music. I sort of like ended up sharing a lot of circles with him and, and coming to know his music through that as well. Um, but uh, he came to the US on a grant from my work and it was before I came to working at ACC, but um, that's how I know him. And actually he um, gifted, oh, it's in the other room. He had gifted the program director at the time with a like very small Chinese uh, money tree, right. the, you know, the, you know, the, the kind with the like long leaves and it's now like seven feet tall. <laughs> it's wow. huge. It, I think it was probably about 10 years ago that he came. Wow. And our office, actually, we no longer have a physical office right now because of COVID and I ended up taking the tree. <laughs> no way. So now I have Yanji and I message him about it all the time. I'm like, oh, look, it's growing. <laughs> now I have this ginormous tree <laughs> that Yanjun gifted ACC 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, I mean, also now I imagine you're bound to that tree, right? There's so much I symbology and throwing I it away if it exactly. gets impractical. It's so symbolic and, and so meaningful to have it here. Um, I must care for it and it must live for eternity. And it must burst <laughs> through your ceiling. <laughs> um but they they made this round Yanjun and Xiaoyu made this record um I actually don't even know what year it was maybe you have that off the top of your head 2016 okay it came yeah. out, I think. Mm -hmm. and this was the first record I heard of his um and it just devastated me and it continues to devastate me <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it, it and he's very prolific. Like if you follow his um, label Subjam, he releases stuff all the time on that. And this to me is like 
remains like one of his most powerful uh, projects. But he basically took, um, I think that they met a couple of times and recorded her poetry, her reciting her own poetry. And then Yan June was doing feedback work and other kind of like um, no input mixing electronics with it. And there's something, the reason why it like devastated me is like, there's, there, it's like one of those records I listen to and you know that feeling of like, oh, like this is the sound that has existed all my life. You know, it's like this like yeah. deep affirmation of like something that I've known all along. And like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of impact that this record had on me when I first listened to it. Um, there's, there's something just so sensual. It's so, it's so, it left such an impression on me that I actually dedicated a whole track on my latest album to him, which is directly inspired by that. And that's the one I mentioned before, um, Exuberant Bodies. Um, it's just like, there's just on the level of, you know, tactility, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's, it's extremely high feedback, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, Xiaoyu's voice, which is just delivered in this way that is so um, intimate and felt. Um, so like on the tactile way, you know, that that's just immediately striking. It's like very minimal in that sense of just basically two entities interacting with each other. And then, of course, like on the emotional and sensory aspect, it's just stunning. Um, I think that the if you buy the record, it comes with a book of the poetry with English translations, and it's just the the words are really beautiful um, and kind of tap into this a little bit dark, a little bit funny, um, a little bit uh, psychedelic. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, um, but she's she's a real genius, and I just think the two of them together. Um, how they manifested that sonically is just is really powerful to me. Talk to me about the feedback because mm -hmm. it's so gorgeous. I mean, both uh, in the case of Yanjin's record, but also within your context as well. And it's not when I think of feedback, that's not where my mind goes normally. And maybe that's my background as a music listener. But working where does in your mind go? To more, I guess, more mid-frequency feedback. I suppose mm -hmm. I. Mm. spent a lot of time in my early 20s at punk and hardcore shows where that was the first thing gotcha. you heard when you walked in right so um but it's it's really stunning and has such a specific emotional effect i think in this context yeah um what is it <laughs> this isn't always something you can articulate but what is it yeah. you think that allures you about feedback at mm. very high pitches I think because I, I've always been gravitated, I've always gravitated towards extremities of frequencies, um, because like there, it tap once you break past the point of the mid range comprehension, like oh that's a C, you know, like yeah. your I don't think that's a C by the way. I don't have a perfect pitch, so <laughs> <laughs> probably all the perfect pitch people are like impressed. oh fuck you. <laughs> um, but. I think once you break past the point of comprehension, which is like in general the like my my absolute mountain, 
sort of sort of creatively for me is sort of like to push the music past just above the place of comprehension Mm. and I think for me like the extremities of feedback both low and high once you reach that point where you're like this I'm not registering like the kind of um, immediate placement of it it becomes like entirely like visceral Mm. you know it becomes like the scent the sort of like sensory experience of an extremely high resonance or an extremely low resonance um yeah so i think that's like what what i really like and and it's hilarious because the album is called seven poems and some tinnitus and yeah i literally have tinnitus so it was like kind of a weird like massage (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. I don't know what it is, um, but that's yeah. That's like how I I feel like I respond to to that range. Um, so I try to. I've got that in my own music, and it, it's a really nice kind of a, a, a juxtapoint or a counterpoint, really, to the other activity I do. That's more in this register um, mm. of my voice. Yeah, nice and. As you mentioned, you've got a track dedicated to Yan June on your yeah. record, which uses... Dedicated this, to you. <laughs> chooses it as a template. Um, <laughs> and obviously with your approach, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you applied a gate, which cut up mm. this poem effectively. So mm. talk me through that. What was the thinking behind taking that approach with the poetry? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I originally had... Res- cited a letter from an ex <laughs> oh wow as the like source of the text and i was like you know what and i was like thinking in the future of like people asking me about that track even though it would be gated and you wouldn't really hear it and i was like you know what i don't want to go through the like emotional baggage of like <laughs> having to talk about that like every time and also yeah. it felt weird to like give power to that 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 to those words in some weird way. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I re- it originally came from like a, a place of like wanting to have a secret, like be, and I guess there's a, like lots of secrets in this record, <laughs> including <laughs> the record name itself, which um, I can't, like, you know, it's an acronym, but I haven't told anyone what it means. And I'm not a secretive person. Like that's the irony of it. It's like, I'm really transparent. Um, right. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny, but I, I did want to have something that on there that was like something that kind of like I only really knew. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my, I was reading through, uh, I love poetry and I was reading through um, this amazing book that I'm deeply inspired by. And it's by a um, Australian poet, Dorothy Porter, who unfortunately passed away several years ago. Uh, but she wrote this beautiful book called Crete um, on Cretan mythology and, the Minotaur and um, really just exquisite uh, writing that is like very modern um, and visceral, but then also has this like mythic quality to it. And one of my favorite poems of hers is Exuberance with Bloody Hands, which is what I ended up using as the source material for spoken word. And, um, that this album with Yan Jun and Xiaoyu was was a really kind of like ticking point for me for 
kind of returning back to spoken word as a form of language um, because I think for a while I avoided it and also went away from it. Um, my initial beginnings in improvised music actually started from poetry. I was working in Joe Morris's ensemble at NEC and um, I didn't really know where to start and he sort of said, why don't you just bring in some poetry? And my friend had a like a big anthology of 20th century American poets and so I just started there and I would just like pick a poem randomly um, mm. and use that as the basis of like my improvisations um, and then eventually kind of like went off more and more off the page where I started to just like make up my own words and syllables and then they become more they became more abstract into just sound nice so I kind of like went backwards from maybe what other people have done um but that that record I think really kind of like put something in my subconscious of like ooh, you know like there's there's a really beautiful way to I think I avoided it for some time because it's so literal you know yeah. when you're Maybe that's why I've got the gate still, because it's like you're like, oh, I can, I could feel the sensoriness of this, but I'm not like literally getting what's going on, you know. Uh -huh. And I think that's maybe what's what's accomplished with in the Yanjun album is like, you know, because Shaiyu is speaking in Chinese, and and that's only sort of like applicable to anyone who understands the language. So if you don't, it's sort of like, oh, I'm just registering this on that level of like on the basis of sorry there's a massive ambulance going by cool. um on the basis of just um sound and i think maybe i wanted to get into that feeling um but i picked that poem uh which was just super meaningful to me and yeah i think in the case of both your track and this yanjun record as someone who doesn't speak the language in the case of the Anjun record and can't hear the language in the case of your record I guess it really does forefront the uh, emotional sentiment that still burns through in the absence of the actual language as, as mm. well or you know comprehending the language like there's mm. I don't know what the poems are about in the case of the Anjun record but I'm feeling something and it's very <laughs> complicated um, I, you know I couldn't put a finger on it but uh, the tone with which she recites the poems is is so potent, but yeah. in so many different directions because it's not being funneled into a particular exactly. circumstance. Exactly, yeah. like it, it feels like you're. It's sort of the best parts of like cinema to me. Yes, right. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. It's just got that quality to it that you're like, whoa! Like this is this is entering into a a, a well designed and intentioned space that is like also mysterious which i think is the the ultimate goal for, for me anyway it's like yes clarity but also with a bit of mystery mm -hmm. um but yeah i agree literally i said this to someone today we were talking about something similar and i was like oh i want to almost lose sleep uh, having watched a film or something because i i, I can't nod it up or i want a week-long whatsapp with someone just to try and process it that's where no, I really get my kicks. So it's interesting yes. it's come up. Yes, come up I love your rec your recommendations offline for what movies do that to you. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, I'll send them over.
开的冰箱很干净，在这里面的就是钱与另外一些人一起吃饭。他变成另一个我，而且并没有他。朋友和配偶可能有怀疑过，但是被存在本质上给虚幻了一点，就是。Charmaine, let's go to your final. Oh my God! Record here, yeah. Wow, what yeah. one to finish on?、Um, wow. Yeah, go for it. What's the name of it? Oh gosh. So this is Masana's record, Noskul and Anna. I probably, I don't. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly.、Mm-hmm. The Rare Tracks collection.、Um, I should just say up front, like I'm not a noise head, <laughs> in the way that like I feel like, at least not now,、um, it's not a priority of mine.、Um, but I do have friends who are like. Have encyclopedic, you know, knowledge of of this practice, and I'm also dating someone who's、uh, a bit of a legend in this area of music. So I I feel like I'm, you know,、uh, exposed to that via proximity.、Um, but I think my the 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 best parts, the best thing about that and about noise is like nowadays not so much, but generally it's relatively not. You know, it's. It stayed outside the institutional、um, forces, and as a result, you know, a lot of the knowledge is not centralized in any specific way. Although I, I see that there's like a lot more sort of like academic kind of like presence of it now, but、um, I think as a result. You can kind of choose your own journey with、yeah. music, which、totally. is what I love about it,、um, and I think that's really where I've come from,、uh, which is just you know because it, it's very recent to me. I think I only, I like basically only listened to Mers Bow until like I don't know 2018, right? <laughs> like so like really late, like really late for me, and then it, then it was just like boom, and I went deep into. The things, and I'm grateful to the friends who were like, "Check out this, 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 and this." And I was like, "Okay," <laughs> and then like that was kind of the the starting point. But the Masana record, you know, it's interesting because someone sent me the first ever thing I saw of Masana's was a video on YouTube. It's like three minutes long, and it's him performing、um, at some festival in 2002, and. I remember seeing that and being like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I just thought it was so excessive and like dramatic and melodramatic, and I just remember being like, "This, I, this, I'm not into this." <laughs> 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 and like it's hilarious because he like storms off, you know, he like f- you know coll- falls over a bunch of chairs, runs into the crowd, and like the whole nine yards, like the whole thing. <laughs> And and then like I started, there was this zine that was out in America a while back in the '90s called Ongaku Otaku, which is like you know、um, basically like a sound fanatic, as the sort of literal Japanese translation. And it was started by an American,、um, Mason Jones. And in the first issue,、uh, there's like reviews or. Announcements of、um, records being released by various labels, and there was one、um, by Alchemy Records, which、uh, is owned by、uh, Jojo Hiroshige、uh, of Hijokaiden, and I think、um, Masano, who 
whose actual name is Maso Yamazaki. Um, he worked at the alchemy shop in Osaka. Yes. Yeah. And um, there was a renouncement of a kind of compilation of his Nausicaa and Anna, um, which pulled together some of his limited run limited run recordings and like some other rare live stuff. And I just like, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to listen to this. And I was really struck actually, like to be, to be vain. I was really taken by the album cover, which is like hot pink. It's like this like hot pink record cover. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Like I like that. And, um, I was just blown away. Like it's, it's over an hour long, which is like great for car rides. (laughs) Um, If you want to like drive everyone in your car crazy. But I, I just was, I was like really struck and maybe it was because I wasn't, I wasn't like having to also look at the physical, like the visual. And I was just like listening to it. Um, And I was like, this is fucking psycho, like, and, and really psychedelic and, and I was just really taken by the absolute commitment to that approach and that sort of thing that we talked about before, the singular approach, mm. which I feel like noise music gets really well, does really, really well. Um, but it had a lot more, like there's a lot of feedback present. And I know he kind of worked with like specific analog pedals and um was working with like specific electronic brands for a while. But I think that there's like something really singular about it. And yet at the same time, like has a lot of nuance and variety um, that is missing in other kind of like, like harsh noise wall practices mm-hmm. where you're like, to me, there's like a small slither of that practice where I'm like really, really interested in. And a lot of it feels more just like, a wash like that it's the kind of thing i'd rather experience live for that purpose than necessarily like in the recorded medium Mm -hmm. but um i was i was really struck by it and i thought this compilation was great um it has you know stuff from his records like madonna um like a vagina and other like sort of like live um there's like a live at gilmore street no gilman street um, recording which is great and there's like this yeah. person in the crowd like you can hear people talking yeah yeah and like at the beginning like someone's like oh like what's what's the set list <laughs> <laughs> and like you can hear someone reply back being like oh like there isn't there isn't any <laughs> and then he's so like <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just it's so good it's so so good yeah um and i for me like it it uh, it influences me like in a literal sense of like um i feel like i've been alluding to noise language for a long time and have been very slow and careful with like taking it to like any sort of literal place with distortion and like that crunch in my sound mm. and only semi recently have really dived into that um in my own in my own language and kind of like trying to explore the parameters of that and seeing okay how far can i go in that world and where will that take me so that's masana is like i think like up there for someone who i feel like just embodies that whole like 
focus for me. Um, that's really inspiring. You mentioned that you want to see how far you can you can take it yourself. Yeah. Um, I guess on your new album, mm. Final Futs is the track that feels to me like maybe the most obvious yeah. part of that. But I mean, yeah. is, is that like as far as you feel you've taken it so far or... or? Interesting. Um, in a in a concentrated sense, yes, mm. I feel like um, that setup actually a no input mixing board setup where I had patched a bunch of things into my mixer and then ran my mic a bunch of mics into that. Um, the current setup I have now is actually more straightforward. It's just um, putting my putting my line into um, like a fuzz pedal and just playing with the different parameters of that kind of feedback. Nice. So maybe what it is, is like the final futz is sort of a more squishy, like narrower noise. And then now I feel like I've really thickened it out hmm. and I'm like thinking about like, EQ in a more serious sense in that way. Um, so yeah, I guess like it continues to, to go down that path and I don't know, like it, it's not just a, it's not just a creative hesitation. It's like literally lo the logistics of getting the feedback you want, like right. the kind of distortion you want Yeah, is really hard <laughs> <laughs> and the sort of tendency to like, revert to certain pedals that everyone use, uses, like death metal or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, the problem is with those, it's like it's got such a distinct filter that you immediately kind of know <laughs> when yeah, someone's yeah, using absolutely. that pedal. Mm -hmm. I guess... You have that experience? Well, yeah. I mean, also as well, like, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's also an affordability question as well. I've turned up at... Um, noise shows where everyone turns up with the same synthesizer yeah. with the same tacky bit where sellotape has been used to hold down <laughs> one of the keys me being one of the people who's also turned up with that synth yes. the three of you there like well maybe just one of us should play um yeah. <laughs> would that be easier <laughs> but yeah i know exactly what you mean and i guess yeah. there's a certain um uh, approach to noise and this is totally valid and i think in some contents if you can pull it off then amazing but yeah but i guess people don't care so much right they're just like i'm <laughs> here to be incredibly loud and to you know with the equipment i have Here's do you know what i mean it's so real like i don't know like if i were to maybe like zoom forward 30 years from now and be like what would you like to pass down to the kids and this would be my answer is like like have fucking sound checks. Like I don't understand like why people like there's some sort of immaturity when it comes to like sound checks. Like it's like, oh, I don't want to take myself too seriously. Like I'm not going to do a fucking sound check. Or like they'll do it and they'll just like plus three things. Or they're terrified of revealing what right. their set's going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's like I feel like the the primary thing was like, well, I don't want to like. Yeah, I don't want to like, show people what I'm going to do. You know? <laughs> to, the, to the ten people who've turned up to the yeah, basement and show. <laughs> and it's like if you are so terrified that like twenty to thirty seconds of your vocabulary is going to like 
like completely disintegrate like the impact of your set that's like yeah. maybe there's something about your music that's like right. maybe needs to be explored or questioned a bit more as if halfway but, through the set people would be like oh it's that bit we've heard yeah. this bit this is really dipped yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know just like a side note it's like take soundtrack fucking seriously and like your music will improve and like your music will be good like just pay attention advice. yeah you know it's like i feel like that that to me is like really astounding like how many people just like really just like don't think about how they sound live right i don't know yeah anyway but yeah 100 percent um so it sounds like the after you found this Masona record or at least after you started making a foray into noise yeah that opened a few doors for you um yeah. where did you go next like after noise like I'm, oh like, no after- i mean it's in like within noise it sounds like you had some oh. people recommending you stuff like yeah what other stuff has really uh really spoken to you i love cut up music and cut up noise and um the person I'm dating actually um, goes by this project sickness. Who's sort of, a, oh. yeah, you're like, Jory. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell him that he'll love it. He'll love it. Fan the flames, fan the flames. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing. What This is why I don't go on video for podcasts is that my face uh, makes an expression before I have the chance to intervene. <laughs> So, as you know, then, um, (laughs) he's a legend and uh, I've been really, I think it, to me, like, I mean, you can hear it in my music. I think it's something that I was alluding to, like, before I even knew it existed um, in this sort of rapid fire, like, maximum variety, you know, jam-packed. And I was, like, basically doing that acoustically (laughs) or trying to do that acoustically. (laughs) So it makes a lot of sense that like, you know, when I got hip to, to cut up, I was like, Oh God damn. Like, like this is the, this is the electronic manifestation of that, like in a very literal sense. Um, and the thing that's great about it is like, um, you think that, and this is the thing with noise. It's like maybe to a less experienced ear, you're like, Oh, everything sounds the same. But you can actually tell, like, style is very apparent hmm. in cut-up music. Um, and it's it's really obvious to me, at least when I hear it, like, when I'm hearing, like, Chris play or when I'm hearing, um, like, um, Ka- Kazumoto Endo play or, you know, mm-hmm. just, like, there's a, there's a style and there's language within that totally. that's very unique. Um, but Chris once described it to me as, like, like you're stacking a bunch of cups up and then breaking it down and then stacking it up again and then breaking it down and stacking it back up again. And it's like, that's kind of true. It's like, you're, you're setting up this like obstacle course, um, that I feel like I, I feel like I really connect with conceptually of just like, you're setting up all these issues, these problems, and then you try to (laughs) solve for them like live. Um, and that's what happens when you just like, you know, put a massive amount of information into a small container. Yes. Um, But that kind of music to me just like is super powerful and exciting. And I think that's where I like Masana is kind of like, like an organic flow of that. And Mm -hmm. then I kind of like went into like the, the, the harsher, like harder um, surgical, like 
manifestations of that after that. Um, so yeah, I think it was a very natural progression for me and I think continues to be a source of inspiration and, and something that I'm like always thinking about and listening to. And how often do you listen to that Masona record all the way through? <laughs> I put it on, mm, let's see, the last time I listened to it, I was driving um, from Western Massachusetts to New York um, and got 37 minutes in, I think I want to say. That's good going. <laughs> so I think it's been like, uh, a handful of times I've listened to the whole thing the, all the way through in one sitting, but it's so worth it. Um, <laughs> but it's also just a thing that you can just kind of like have present. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe you got to be like kind of crazy to do that. But um, I did finish the rest of the, the album at a later point, but <laughs> <laughs> just to close the loop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's also good because like the the very last track has like probably the most contrast it's it's um like his guitar him on the guitar yeah and there's like lots of space and it's not the maniacal stuff that's going on in the beginning um yeah so it's good to get through the whole album would recommend that <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but i did it once um I guess that's the thing that because it is a compilation as well, none of these yeah. things were intended to be appended. I mean, even Masona, I feel, had a, 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 a mercy to him that his records were 20, 30 minutes long, right? Whereas this compilation is, um, you know, Frankenstein listening experience. Of, yeah, um, that's, the, that's the other thing. Yeah, that's actually a really good note to make because it is a compilation and it wasn't necessarily intended to be um, sequentially like ordered in in the way that it that it was so yeah that is a good point to make um but yeah like an, an hour and five minutes of persona yeah <laughs> well i did enjoy it like uh hearing what happens to his music over duration like it's mm-hmm. a totally different thing what tell me your experience of that i guess this is um this is an interesting record to do it with as well because you do have these protruding elements um where in the context of some of his records proper you don't get so suddenly you'll 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 veer off into like the harmonica stuff yeah um or you know like you say into a live set so there's at least some respite and context switching but there is the point and you know this happens i think with a lot of music that's Mm. intense but plays with duration and you just get halfway down and you're like I can seldom remember a time where I wasn't listening to this Masona record. Like it's so enveloping that you're just like, this is just where I exist now. Do you know what That's I mean? That's why I think the 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 like I have the impulse to play it when I'm driving. You know, right? It's, like, it's perfect. Yeah, it's a part of the universe, and yeah. you just kind of accept it as being there. And you know, you'd think that a car would probably be the last place you want to listen to it because you're like trapped in this vehicle. And you can't you can't exit the situation like you yeah. kind of just have to be through it. But I find that I find that it's kind of comforting. <laughs> <laughs> you do you? Um, I mean, trapped in with Masana. <laughs> I I I kind of I mean, the car for me is is a really lovely place to listen to those kind of records where you just know mm. that you can have volume and not also a um 
uh, a noise complaint as well. So it's... true. That's true. True. Yeah. My I live in Chinatown, and my neighbors are just like, oh yeah, like she's the girl that makes the crazy, weird <laughs> mouth sounds. Nice. So you're known in the in the block. Yeah. But that's but that's uh, you know that's if they totally game for it for you to do your thing that's wicked isn't it i know that's the sort of that's the sort of new york apartment realities you know because i also have to deal with like like people you know screaming at 3 a.m and stuff so it's like eh, it is what it is yeah fair And in terms of as well where you like to listen to records, we touched on the car. Are mm-hmm. there any particular places that you like to put on either one of these records, but any record generally as a, a particular like way to listen? It could be physically, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could be a space or, or, yeah, or it could yeah. be a place. Well, the uh, first one, the, the Yankees, as I said, was like an active, literally practicing with it on, mm-hmm. which is always super fun. And it, and it and actually had a really interesting way to actually listen to a record when you're like contributing to it (laughs) maybe destroying it i don't know i don't want to tell like any of them that that's what i do because that's probably really offensive um but um i i am a a kind of traditional listener like i i know some people like to get horizontal or do sort of unusual spaces um i like to sort of uh be comfortable and yet a little bit on edge <laughs> so generally like sitting on a hard chair or something like that right mm-hmm. um because then it just sort of brings my attention to the situation and but the music kind of it's a two-way street i think because if the music isn't really calling for that level of concentration i'll also like my physical response will be that as totally. well mm-hmm um, but I'm a, I'm a closest now. Like I've got over ear headphones that I've been using for it. They're like, they're the classic like Sony, um, model that people used to use to in recording studios in like the nineties or something, but they're very flat, which is what I really like about them. Um, but I use those, uh, when I really want to hear something and hear the detail of something. And then I, then I tend to listen things to listen to things through um, a, an audio file type sound system. So, um, yeah, nice. tend to do that. Yeah, but I think for you know the realities of um, living in my apartment, it tends to be my bedroom. This is where yeah <laughs> it <yeah>. goes down. <laughs> well, Charmaine, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for talking through these records your record and much else besides thank it's been you great. jack thanks so much for doing this and thanks for having me and to everyone listening we'll see you next time goodbye